This is RDQI. Hey, Dave, is biohacking ethical? Hmm. Well, that is a good question. What is biohacking, though? I think that's important to set a foundation for. And I I don't think, I don't know if there's, you know, a Webster's dictionary definition of the term. But the way I look at it, I look at it kind of a little bit more broadly than, than maybe some people do. But I, I kind of look at it as more the, you know, really what is the word, what is the word conjuring up? You know, you are hacking your own biology. Mm-hmm. And this can be anything as simple as drinking a cup of coffee, which enhances your, you know, your focus and your alertness, to editing your genome and, you know, basically creating or altering your cells in a way that can like really, really change who you are fundamentally. Yeah. And, Is that kind of your understanding too? I mean, kind of, uh, I get a little hung up on the idea of like, um, cause I think biohacking is something new to humanity. Um, so like, yeah, fasting, or drinking coffee. I mean, humans have been drinking coffee and tea and alcohol for that matter for millennia. Um, so have we been, I guess what I'm trying to say is, have we been biohacking since we like settled in civilizations or even before then, or is this something new? And I prefer to say, let's, let's call this something new. Cause I think it's more about kind of, um, the mindset about which you go about doing something. Um, So like, let's take meditation. Meditation can be classified as a biohack or it could just be a, you know, in my opinion, like it's just a daily practice that's good for your mental health. But if you're a biohacker, it's, you're coming, I would say you're coming to meditation with a specific mindset and a goal. And typically that goal, as far as I can tell, includes language that's like, I'm going to maximize my potential or I'm going to elevate my personality. It's always about like becoming a superhuman to me is where like biohacking. That's what I, that's the, that is the cubby hole that I put biohacking in is people trying to make themselves superhuman. But that's just, I don't think that's a generally accepted definition. That's just my perspective. Well, that makes sense. Cause it, it, it draws the line and I think it makes it a little bit easier to understand our original question of whether it's ethical, you know, I don't think right. drinking a meditation cup of coffee is, is terrible is for an you. ethical decision. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, 
but it, but it's also it's it's a it's kind of a fine line, right? Because drinking a cup of coffee in the morning is that biohacking? I uh, I don't know, maybe. But is you know taking Adderall to you know be super great at your job and you know stay up and work twenty hours a day? Is that biohacking? I would yes. <laughs> right, but then um, you could have another person be but like, those two that sounds like you just have a drug problem. You know, like, so <laughs> the perspective of the individual is pretty important, I think, is what we're trying to say. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I, I think, you know, for the most part, people have a cup of coffee every morning as a ritual. It's not, they're not necessarily doing it to enhance their productivity. Although, like, I don't know, it'd be hard to make that distinction. So maybe let's not play around at the bottom line of the distinction. Sure. And let's play around with the top line of the distinction. You know, the stuff that's clear, clearly, um, you know, I perform this way. I want to perform better than this way in some capacity, mm-hmm. right? Whether physically or mentally. Um, so think of <laughs> experimental um, um, diet regimens that are, you know, kind of enhance cognition, like intermittent fasting, like keto kind of. Um, <clears throat> I mean, those are also, you know, like, uh, well, they're for physical performance too. Right. Now, do you think, and I know this is a bit of a tangent, but do you think part of what makes it, you know, intermittent fasting or meditation, specifically a biohacking procedure, is it because that person like fundamentally is just trying to live longer and healthier? Is that kind of how you see it? <laughs> You know, the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of, I almost don't know if I really understand my own definition of biohacking. Well, I think, because I think that's a component of it. But I mean, really, if I, if I ask myself, if I think about what I think about when I conjure up that, that biohacking term, it's not really about longevity or a healthier life necessarily. It's about like, getting an edge on someone else in some competitive field or fashion. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's interesting because. So I had to do a lot of reading about this because I'm not very well-versed. I certainly don't, uh, I wouldn't say I exist in a biohacking mindset. Um, I engage in yoga, running, drinking coffee, meditation, a lot of these practices and a lot of things, but I wouldn't say I'm a biohacker. Because I think one thing, because usually, okay, yeah, meditation, whatever, that's kind of ho-hum. I mean, really what we're talking about is people who are pushing the edge and literally experimenting on themselves. Um, so there might be, you know, like, uh, let's say fecal transplants. So medically speaking, that is a thing, you know, you basically takes poop from someone else's body and put it into a different human's body. There's a bunch of different reasons why you'd want to do this. Um, but it becomes biohacking when you say, Hey Dave, can you send me some poop? I'm just going to try and do this myself, right? Like you're not getting the (laughs) medical establishment involved in this. You're not consulting a doctor. You're just saying, I'm going to go for it, even though there's no... No evidence that it's a good decision, strictly speaking. But there's a lot of frustration with people who are like, the logjam that is the FDA, which is the way to get anything medically improved in this country, it could take 10 years to get a new drug approved or a new method approved, like CRISPR or something like that. So there's an inherent frustration with how slow the system for approving this huge rapid development of technology that we're experiencing I can understand how some people, especially in Silicon Valley, are like, you know what? 
I've been microdosing LSD for about two weeks now. I really think I figured it out. Let's, you know, fecal transplants is going to make us a better, make us better people. I can see how that, that frustration builds to a certain point where people want to take, you know, control or take, yeah, take control basically. Yeah. And I, I mean, I want to be, be clear that I, uh, do not have never and will never do a fecal transplant. But beyond that, I I definitely do have kind of a biohacking mindset, I would say. A l- less so now, um, but probably, um, you know, prior to about a year ago or so, I I would consider I, myself kind of that biohacking mentality, you know, trying like... It, and it is. It's it's exactly what you described. It's sort of self experimentation to see you know what can make you better, faster, stronger. You know, as whether it's using um, or you know trying functional mushroom supplements to see if it helps you know improve cognition. Um, or you know, I, I tried a lot of intermittent fasting. I tried kind of uh, like detox uh, type things. You know, where kind of eliminating certain things from my diet. Um, and it, I mean it changes the way that you think for sure not necessarily in a some do right some have no impact whatsoever um but it's also it's also hard to separate them out from placebo effects especially because you know if you think about the scientific method that you're applying to yourself well there's no you know control variable there's <laughs> right uh you know it's a very subjective you know analysis to to determine whether or not there's actually any impacts sure yeah um, if you looked up a study and realized that the population of the study was one you'd be like okay this is irrelevant data right right but when it's yourself, you're like, oh, no, I, I totally understand this. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, kind of what we were talking about, um, you know, last week with Lindsay, it's so easy to delude yourself into thinking that you're right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's not only is, is it a study of one. There wasn't even a scientist conducting it on one person. It was just <laughs> one person. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. <laughs> with and, and honestly, that's why yeah. I've. <laughs> right. That's that's why I've never, uh, and I've, I've uh, yeah, scrapped that. That that's why I have moved away from that, um, because I think I I got to a point where, you know, I, I added some things or removed some things, and then I kind of thought, you know, I looked back on the last four years of doing all that stuff, and I sort of thought, did I accomplish anything? You know, or would any of these be things that I would stick with that really changed my life? And the answer was just no. It was mm. just no. Was it, were there changes? I'm sure, right? But not a change that was mind-blowing and, oh, wow, this is amazing. This has changed my life forever. It's just, it hadn't. <laughs> and so I kind of moved away from that because it's a lot of, you spend a lot of time and energy doing it. Sure. And I wanted to spend my time and energy doing other things. Yeah, interesting. So what was the appeal during that time, if you can recall? Like, why were you so connected to this idea and willing to invest in it? <laughs> you know, as I was talking about this, I had this in the back of my mind. You're definitely going to ask this question, and I don't know if I have a good answer to it. Um, I, I don't know if this is the best word to use, but I almost would just say boredom. You know, I, I kind of had a very... Uh, static professional life. I kind of had a very, not that it was, it was bad in any way, but it was sort of, um, you know, kind of the, the same thing day in, day out. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm somebody who just really, 
uh, thrives off of change and, you know, a dynamic environment. And because everything else in my life was pretty stagnant and yeah, that stagnant is too, you know, it's, it's, it, it has a negative connotation that I don't intend to use here. And it was, you know, it was fine. It was just, wasn't changing every day the way that I, the way that really energizes me. And so this was kind of a way to introduce some pretty consistent change in my life or, or, you know, attempt to at least. Sure. Oh, that makes total sense. I don't know if that's, no, that makes total sense to me. I think boredom is a good word for that. I think, um, who hasn't found themselves bored over a period of time in their life, you know, whether it was months long or years long. Um, and I think boredom is actually a really, um, can be a really good and useful thing. I think a lot of creativity comes up with boredom. And I think if you're going to use your boredom to try and find a way to make yourself better, like I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's pretty cool actually. But it, it also doesn't sound like you were pushing too deep into biohacking concepts. I mean, you're not <laughs> no. um, <clears throat> you're not implanting any chips in your hand so you can open up your door without keys. You know, you're not, at least that I know of. I mean, unless you want to inform me of something here, Dave. <laughs> well, that's so. That's I, I think it's a that's the end spectrum of biohacking, and it's it's almost not even the same thing, but I, I think it does kind of still fit under the, the umbrella, hack, the umbrella hacking, the bio <laughs> umbrella hacking, sure. <laughs> the biohacking <laughs> umbrella. Yep. I just, yeah, I just got it. You know, somebody in a laboratory making umbrellas, do all crazy stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, my, mine was more kind of cognitive enhancement and physical enhancement through, um, through, you know, manipulating different, uh, like supplements and exercise routines and eating patterns and things like that. Right. Um, yep. Okay. I was not, you know, doing any kind of serious uh, uh, science and things like that on my body. And that's when you kind of take biohacking to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I, using sort of medical procedures um, or even technology to, to push this a step further. And I would, I would think about that, you know, fecal transplant. I still can't believe that's a thing. Um, fecal transplant or, um, you know, like medical procedures to that. That's a step beyond. I mean, even I would, I would even, um, this might be a somewhat controversial, but I would say plastic surgery is probably something like that where mm-hmm. it's okay. Now you're, you're not, you can't do that yourself. Now you're getting, you know, um, a little bit of alternative medicine involved in, in, you know, enhancing and it's not, ne- it's a slippery slope though. You know, I mean, if you're a burn victim, yeah, you want, if you have the opportunity of, if you're, let's say your face has been burned severely and you're given the opportunity to have facial reconstruction surgery, odds are you, I mean, I'm guessing I would say yes to that. I don't know what you would do. So like in that case, okay, sure. That makes sense. If you're just doing a little nip and a little tuck, cause you just don't want your, you know, your eye bags to be so saggy. Okay. That's a, that's a different conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, also like with, okay, going, using the example of like, oh, you know, everyone's joking like, oh, they're going to start putting chips in your hand and, you know, they're going to start tracking you. It's like, well, I mean, it's kind of what a pacemaker is, right? It's just literally a yeah. little, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to explain what a pacemaker is because I couldn't do it, but it's essentially a little tiny computer in your body firing off a signal to keep your heart regular. That's pretty crazy but we wouldn't i don't think people call that biohacking though because it's just accepted medicine at this point 
So does so does biohacking mean that it's like the fringe, like science hasn't accepted it a hundred percent yet, and these people are just willing to experiment on themselves? You you bring up a really good point. And and I think this this argument and this conversation has been going on for a long time. I remember my freshman year in high school, I read Enough by Bill McKibben, which is basically a, you know, a look into, okay, gene editing, how far mm. is too far? Mm-hmm. And when you get into these upper echelons, I think that the foundation of the technology, the very, you know, the, there's a spectrum of of things that it can do. And the baseline is something that I think m- most people, the majority of people, would see as a very good thing and wouldn't consider it biohacking. You'd consider it technology using technology to enhance, you know, human beings' quality of life. Sure. So plastic surgery to, you know, help somebody recover from, you know, a massive car accident with, you know, a facial disfigurement. I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. Uh, chain, using plastic surgery to basically change every aspect of your body. Mm, right. Different story. Sure, exactly. Um, and then gene editing. Um, you know, the... the. I don't know if CRISPR was around when um, Enough was written. I don't remember. Um, but, you know, CRISPR is this very... Um, very advanced and yet very simple, extremely simple way that human beings can begin editing their genetic code Mm-hmm. To, I mean, effectively change their DNA. Yeah, I mean, CRISPR is fascinating. Um, yeah, when you when I read up on descriptions of it and hear people talk about it, it does sound incredibly simple. Of course, those people have a lot of letters after their names, so I'm sure it's not, you know, it's not like anyone can just do it. But the technology is certainly there, and it. I find this fascinating because this one, this one really pulls on my heartstrings. I have a, a niece who is eight years old. And she uh, lives with um, Rett syndrome, which is a genetic, I guess you'd say a genetic mutation, essentially, where there's one, there's one gene, one protein that basically the code that's supposed to be written in there just wasn't quite put in there correctly. However, that's done in the womb. I have no idea. So basically, this one protein that this one gene is supposed to code for, the bot, her, her body won't produce that protein. And that leads to a, a long, long list of problems. I mean, she would you would essentially recognize her as uh, special needs or whatever the official term is for that these days. Um, so no motor, like fine motor skills are not very good with her. So speech, it's not really there. She can phonate a couple of consonants and maybe a couple of vowels, but that's about it. Um, walking is difficult for her. It's hard for her to gain weight. There's just a, a litany, a long list of things. And yet, as far as we can tell, cognitively she is a normal child so it's just that there's this one protein that's just not quite behaving well and there have been a couple of studies where CRISPR has been used in mice to like essentially overturn these changes that happen through Rett syndrome and that some mice have been able to heal from this and like recover and basically be normal mice again so there's like when you hear those stories it's just like oh my goodness if I could if I could talk to my niece That'd be the coolest thing in the world. But I can't talk yeah. to my niece just because of this one little protein that's just not working. So like in that case, yeah, like everyone, I don't think anyone's going to be like, nope, don't use that technology to help that little girl. We're not going to do that. It's more like, oh, but I want my son to have blue eyes and be six foot four. Can you do something for that doctor? You know, that's where it gets kind of <laughs> creepy. Right. Right. 
Yeah, and then there's then there's even you know modifying um, personality type of genes, um, and that gets into a whole you know slew of, of ethical considerations, right? Hmm. Um. But but I don't want to necessarily belabor the the. I mean, I know our question is is you know is this ethical? Um, but it's also a question that again, I mean, you know, I guess this will you'll be able to triangulate my age, but. Um, you know, this Bill McKibben's book came out in two thousand four or five, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, fifteen years ago, and and we're still right now. You and I are asking the same questions, <laughs> so I think it's probably safe to say that I don't know if there's a definitive answer beyond if we look at the spectrum of these technologies, it's it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? You know, there, mm-hmm. there's probably room for a lot of what this technology can do. And there's probably some things that these technologies can do that we would definitively say, no, that's not okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's going to be a tough job drawing that line because the, the list of technology that is within our lifetime is possible and people are certainly pursuing. The amount of ethical questions raised is through the roof. I mean... I could see how having a neural implant would help. I could honestly see that. And I think that's probably legitimately possible within our lifetime, mm-hmm. you know? But of course that has a million and one questions. You know, at what point is that okay? At what point isn't that okay? Can this individual compete in a chess grandmaster championship or not? You know, like those, those sort of questions, you know? Um, and then I think that's when maybe we, as a society, really tar- start talking about cyborgs as a separate entity. And that gets real messy real fast and real dystopian. And I'm feeling too happy to talk about that today, Dave. <laughs> well, maybe the, the a more relevant question is, how do we decide where these lines are? Who decides where these lines are? Well, I would say in our country, it'll be a major cluster um, because that's how... I mean, we're really good at, the United States is really good at processing through certain types of decisions like this. We're just really good at doing it in possibly the most ugly way imaginable. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, this is this tramples on so many, so many foundational questions of constitutionality even. I mean, freedom of religion, you know, where does this, where does this cross the line, you know, um, so, like, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, a common thing that any medical profession would know is you you just don't offer a blood transfusion to a Jehovah's Witness because it's it's um, sacrosanct. No, that's probably not what I mean. It is against their belief to basically share biological material between humans. It's sacred to them. Their blood is so. Like taking someone else's blood is is uh it's not good. It's um it's a bad jam, as some might say. And I think as a society that we've set ourselves up for, we're ready to accept that fact. Having said that, that's just a blood transfusion and someone taking their own life in their own hands. We're talking about modifying and enhancing human humans and their biological hardware, so to speak, to create mm-hmm. like a, almost a fundamentally different, not a species, but a, like a, a subcategory or a different category, a human. And that gets... Yeah, that gets real, real weird, real fast. Especially because then, Dave, you and I have talked about this offline a little bit, but I think there's going to be a growing question of what science do you believe, and I do think it will come into camps of like, oh, I believe this camp of science, 
So I think there's a fracture moment coming up that is going to make all of this even more complicated. And on top of that, you know, it's it's there's even questions beyond the the ethics of it, right? I mean, you know, we can decide this is it's completely unethical to make you know an army of super soldiers uh, in America, but then you have you know less ethical states with far less participation in the decision making from the from the um, citizenry. Mm-hmm. So you know, what if what if Russia all of a sudden? <laughs> sure okay well america thinks super soldiers are unethical but uh that's cool (laughs) we're gonna build them anyway (laughs) right right well yeah because then you get this arms race i mean it's kind of like um like the u.s probably has the potential to carry out the most sophisticated cyber attacks possible on the planet but there's a large i was just listening to uh reading an article about cyber security so that's why i'm on this but there have been, since uh, I think since Clinton on, a lot of presidents have had the opportunity to use a cyber attack in conjunction with a military attack. And more often than not, it seems like they're less inclined to use cyber attacks. And the reason is because is once that virus that, you know, let's just say it's a virus they use for the cyber attack. Once that virus is out there in the wild, so to speak, anyone can use it. Like anyone can find that, re-engineer it, and then use it against the United States. And it's kind of like that same... I mean, there's there's definitely a, an arms race shaping up between us and China at the moment, and mo- mainly, <clears throat> mostly based around technology and the type of technology that we're talking about. So there's definitely, <laughs> it might, I don't know if it'll ever break into the media, like, you know, the mainstream news cycle, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the next five years we start hearing rumors of superhuman soldiers as like, like kind of a fear-mongering technique. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. Say I'm on the record for it. <laughs> I absolutely, I absolutely believe that. Um, the same thing with the virus. You know, the world will start hearing you know that more and more as a as a. I, mean, I think we already are hearing that as kind of a doomsday fear mongering tactic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cyber yeah. attacks. That is. But I mean, think about. So I mean, obviously, this is the doom and gloom, and where things go bad, and we get all Orwellian, and just think about how the world's going to end. But the benefits that are available with this medical technology that hopefully will be able to be used at a wider rate across society, I think legitimately will extend people's lives in terms of length and probably quality. Although (laughs) how you define quality of life is always, man, that's a bureaucrat's nightmare. But (laughs) there are a lot of really great and insightful things that can happen for us. I mean, we shouldn't be all doom and gloom. This is exciting, too. Yeah, I, you know, um, to to throw a little bit of a personal example in here. So, um, y- you know, over the last couple of years, we're really starting to gain an understanding and acceptance of the fact that mental health is virtually the same as physical health in that it is, there is something wrong with how the body is being the body. And it's it's causing you know negative impacts in your brain rather than your heart or your lungs, um, but it's not it's not some weakness of character or something like that. It's a chemical imbalance in your brain, um, and you know everybody has obviously our understanding of of you know neuroscience and and psychology is still fairly infant, right? But oh, yeah. everybody has you know experiences of of 
um, you know, really negative times, uh, you know, personally, psycholo- psychologically. Um, wouldn't it be great if we could not not eliminate that? Because I think, you know, that raises another question because I think that there's a balance to the good and the bad and the ups and the downs in life that make life, you know, worth living. I'm not saying that, you know, make everybody just feel fantastic all the time. But like, you know, when you think about the best day you've ever had, I mean, that's really just a, you know, confluence of chemicals in your brain just making you Making you feel great, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that is one particular Um, perspective, but yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. Um, so maybe that's that's a a bad example of where we would necessarily want to go with that, but but let's eliminate those real lows, you know, those unproductive lows. Yeah, depression, for example. You know, we we will absolutely get to an understanding of of like depression in in the real medical sense. Like the, the just unmotivated, the, the lack of the pure lack of motivation, the lack of excitement, the lack of anything of any sort of feeling, you know, that's not productive. And we can get to a point where we can eliminate that through these technologies. Mm-hmm. I would assume. I don't, I mean, I that's don't know, the, that's the I, goal rather. I mean, so if there's people working towards it, you know, that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, Man, that does open up a can of worms, though. Because, yeah, I mean, okay. So let's say 50 years from now. um, Let's say that we're, we can't like offload our brains to the, to the cloud, so to speak, right? So we're not to a post-biological society yet, which that's a whole nother thing. That would be kind of fun podcast. Although that's really just like a, (laughs) yeah. I don't know if that's a podcast. I think that's just like a nice glass of whiskey in a campfire. You know what I mean? (laughs) yes but anyways anyways i digress so okay let's say that you have a neural implant because you've elected to as an individual and yeah you're feeling a little down that day so you're just going to give yourself a little push of the the feel-good stuff that brings you out of this state that you know you've talked with the doctor and like oh you're kind of inclined to go into these depressive cycles but we'll give you this opportunity to kind of use this button essentially to get out of it at one point, do you be like, oh, are you addicted to this endorphin rush or however the mechanism of action actually works in the brain? Like, is that the issue or is this something that we can just accept as like the new normal for life? Because, I mean, drinking a cup of coffee generally gives me energy. Sometimes it helps me fall asleep, which is weird. But, I mean, how different is it for me to be like, oh, I need to be productive during this meeting? How, what's the difference between me getting an espresso? Or like pushing a little button and then essentially having the same neurotransmitters in my brain being affected with something like caffeine. Like, is there that much of a difference? (laughs) I mean, the ritual is certainly different, but, you know, at what point will people say, "Eh, I'd rather skip the coffee. Just give me the, (laughs) give me the button. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'd skip the coffee, though. I love coffee too much. But there might be, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) It's hard to say in the future, of course. Okay, so we probably wouldn't experiment on our own biology with fringe medicine. Like, I don't think either of us are going to go get blood transfusions from, like, you know, 20-year-olds, which is a very yeah interesting little biohack. Like, we're not going to go to that level, but certainly people are because there's a market for it. Do you think that market's going to grow, or is this just a little bit of a fad tech bubble sort of a a trend 
Yeah, I think that there's part of it that will that is a trend. Um, but I think part of that, you know, even even the things that end up being trends and fads will ultimately still push the you know underlying current of biohacking you know push it forward mm-hmm. yeah um you know are people gonna microdose lsd are the you know the silicon valley guys gonna like is that gonna become a universal thing probably not but the the impetus behind it i think that's that's not going away um, sure yeah you know, because now you're gonna you're gonna see these people like oh wow it's this is great when i can work like crazy all the time and um you know, they're going to look for other ways to do it. You know, maybe microdosing LSD is not the right way to go about it. <laughs> but, but you know, is there, <laughs> right. can we use technology to make that a, you know, to, to go about it a different way, same result, but a much healthier way to do it? Yeah. Okay. So if I'm hearing you, what you're saying is this idea is not going away. Maybe the particular flavor right. and the, the, the style of it and how it appears in pop culture, that might be a fad. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. You know, and I, I was thinking, I, I think things get dangerous when you just have one person experimenting on themselves. Um, well, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that's how you get to things like addictions, right? I mean, somebody who's, uh, you know, like, uses um you know opiate painkillers to mm-hmm. you know kind of like cope with this whatever their their you know major stresses in their life well if they're just doing it themselves i mean there's nobody to kind of regulate and tell them you know hey maybe you shouldn't have one one more than you did last night because it's not doing the same thing right right um so so the individual biohacking i think can be very dangerous do you think that a consensus based, you know, taking, taking those biohacking things that individuals are doing and moving them into an industry, like a regulated industry, like the medical profession or the psychiatric profession or the, um, you know, sports science profession. Do you think, and then, and then obviously operating on some form of, of consensus where, you know, we, we take a technology, we examine it and the, and the world kind of, pushes back or you know the world sort of decides yes this is right no this is not do you think that that's an effective way to determine on a case-by-case basis what is ethical versus what is not or do you think that human beings lack the or do you think human beings as a as a society we have the same kind of ability to deceive ourselves to push the envelope further and further beyond what is ethical because everyone else is doing it or because of the slippery slope. Uh, yeah. I mean, hmm. unfortunately I have a very cynical take on that question. Uh, looking <laughs> through human history, I would say humans uh, in society, I've noticed a pattern, which is that humans tend to try and take advantage of their circumstances. Um for a better life, essentially, to sum it down to super simple terms. And Mm. if someone thinks that an experimental technology can help them live a better life, they have the means to do so, and they don't care about, you know, becoming a pariah if it's like a socially, you know, looked down upon practice, I think someone will still push the envelope. I just, 
think that's one aspect of human nature. And I think you bring up an interesting point of like, yeah, there, like there should be a regulatory body overseeing this. And I think that's actually kind of part of the problem is that the regulatory bodies, at least in our country that we have, hold vast power over how new technologies can be adopted and actually enter in society. And I'm not going to, I don't know enough about the FDA and how they work. I couldn't even give you a score on how they're doing. But there's a sense, at least I feel like, FDA is probably doing like C, C plus work at best. It just feels like that to me. I don't know if that's true or not. I have no way of knowing even. But it seems like that's the case. And I think as long as it seems like the man isn't going to go fast enough, and let's say I have a problem that I think could be solved by a biohack biohacking method, I think that person's going to try. And I feel